I'm Jeffrey Wright, Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. We're back with four new episodes. You'll hear conversations I had with Bill Ford, Fede and Ale Sucre, Rebecca Siegel, and Roseanne Haggerty. Rebecca Siegel, class of 2018, is a field artillery officer and a first lieutenant in the United States Army. Rebecca was the first Army ROTC student at Amherst in the past 24 years. She and I spoke about the call to service. Rebecca, it's wonderful to see you, and thank you so much for keeping me as informed as you have about how things are going. Tell me where you are and what you're doing. So right now, I'm at Joint Base Lewis-McChord. I'm a field artillery officer and a first lieutenant, so I'm stationed out here in Washington State and serving as an aide-de-camp to a general officer. I would say right now, I feel absolutely fulfilled with what I'm doing and I get to serve whether it's, you know, helping shape a unit at a larger scale or helping an individual soldier with a more day-to-day issue. So, Rebecca, it sounds as though the work you're doing and the experiences you're having are intellectually stimulating as well as rewarding by virtue of the service. Can you talk about that? I definitely feel intellectually stimulated in what I'm doing right now. I think it's a balance. It's a combination between what I'm doing myself to, you know, read about military strategy and understand world affairs with every day, the work that I'm doing really brings in what training I got at Amherst for how to be a thinker and how to communicate. Um, and so together that it, it keeps me really intellectually stimulated. I have so many fond memories of your time at Amherst and of you Let's start with the fact that you were a transfer student to Amherst. So I transferred to Amherst uh, halfway through my sophomore year, and it was because I was looking for a more intimate academic experience. I was looking to be able to sit with professors and talk with them and for a school that, you know, in the dining hall, people wanted to talk about what they learned that day in school. And I remember doing a Google search and talking to people and Amherst just kept coming up. I grew up in Massachusetts. I wasn't sure I wanted to go to school in Massachusetts. Um, and then my mom said, you know, go take a look at the school. And, and so I came and took a look and it was, I immediately knew it was the right fit. Um, I talked with the transfer coordinator and she was explaining to me that, you know, students will have dinner with their professor. They can take, there's a program to take them out to dinner just because they want to talk about what they're learning and they want to dive deeper than they get to in the classroom. And that was, I I knew immediately, like, this is the right school for me. And I applied and Amherst was really supportive with helping me work through, you know, I was the first Army ROTC student to come to the school in a really long time. And so I got to Amherst. I remember it was bitterly cold when I arrived and they brought all the transfer students together and they said, the admissions department does not make mistakes. You are meant to be here. And that that stuck with me and was really important to hear because there were times you come into the Amherst experience partway through and you feel like you're playing catch up for the first semester. 
And it, it, that stuck with me and really helped me. But that was also emblematic of, of the Amherst experience writ large. The entire community is there to support you, whether it's the dining staff who asks you how your test went to, I mean, Vidi, you yourself just checking in to make sure that there were little things that were happening so that I could, you know, make it in between UMass Amherst ROTC and Amherst College, you know, when I had physical training that ends at 745 and an Amherst College class that starts at eight. And so it, it was a it's kind of a it takes a village approach to having students where it's just you get engulfed in the support from Amherst. And and when I got to Amherst, everything that I had hoped that would happen out of my academic experience did. And I think one of the biggest ways that, you know, one single moment that I remember is I got to Amherst and the testing style at Amherst is a little bit different from where I was before. And it was more about grading your thinking than it was grading specific fact recall. And I wasn't used to that, didn't do so well on the first exam. I think it was in my intro bio class. And my professor said, please come see me. And I was like, oh no. And then I went and saw the professor and she said, can you come to my office hours? You know, I know you're a transfer student. I want to just talk through some of this. And I said, well, I can't make your office hours because of ROTC. I'm really sorry. And there was a pause because we didn't understand, I didn't understand that professors at Amherst want to meet with you, period. Office hours are just a recommended time. And she didn't understand that I didn't know that you could meet outside of office hours. And it was, you know, a moment like that where she was there to support me and in every way that she could. We met, she explained the different testing style, and then it transformed my experience in that class. Uh, but that that experience continued throughout Amherst to the point that you know, I would sometimes go to office hours or not office hours just to meet with the professor because they were an interesting person and I wanted to learn more. And that experience I don't think is possible at most schools. What did you major in? I majored in neuroscience. And that was actually because I was studying biology. I thought it was interesting, but I wasn't passionate about it. And my lab partner in biology said, have you ever thought about neuroscience? And I said, no. And he said, it's kind of the why behind psychology. It's blending biology with psychology. And I looked into it. Ironically, my advisor was a neuroscience professor. And so he was the right person to go talk to about it. And, and I absolutely loved it. And I think people ask me, you know, why study neuroscience and then go join the army? And the army is about understanding people. And neuroscience is about understanding people. And so when you look at it that way, it actually makes more sense than many other majors. That's so interesting. Rebecca, What at what age did you know you wanted to go into military service? I decided to go into the military at some point in high school. I'm not sure there was a specific moment where I realized this is it. But I remember distinctly there were a few times where, you know, I, I met somebody in the military, especially you know, an ROTC student, and they would seem so much more mature than, you know, another random college student or than their counterpart of, you know, uh, of a similar age. And I also remember feeling we were reading a bunch about World War II history and uh, and reading lit World War II literature and, and recognizing that there was something that I couldn't yet put my finger on now I understand that it was my desire to serve and be a part of, you know, this military family and team 
to help others. And so as I started to recognize that throughout high school, uh, you know, military service wasn't as common coming out of Brookline High School and especially not going into the officer corps. Uh, and so I started seeking out people who had served or were serving so I could understand, you know, what was their experience like and are there people um, who, who are satisfied with military service who are from, you know, who go to schools like Amherst College. And absolutely, there are. And it's just about making it the right environment and setting conditions for your experience. Did you get any negative reactions to uh, being part of ROTC? And did you get positive ones from other students, from faculty and staff? Talk a little bit about that. So the last person to do Army ROTC at Amherst College graduated, I think, 24 years before me. And he was at Amherst at a time where ROTC wasn't really uh, as welcome. And so there weren't so many conditions set before I got there. So I think most of the friction that I ran into when I got to Amherst was just that, you know, it hadn't been greased. And so the friction that I saw was, you know, something as simple as I probably shouldn't be in a double room in a dormitory because the other person does not want to hear my alarm at 4.30 in the morning. Um, and then there were some some bigger issues of professors wondering how am I going to balance the academic load between ROTC and Amherst College, which is a completely legitimate concern, but I don't think it is so far off from what do student athletes do, uh, what do people who are doing research do. I mean, if you're doing scientific research, there are times where your scientific research is going to pull you a little bit more than your classes might because you know, if you're working with biology, that has its own timeline. And there were really, there were no major issues ever. It was really just about understanding. And then on the positive side, I think because we, we've had an Air Force ROTC student a few years before me, but on the Army side, there hadn't been as many graduates. And so one of the things that I saw was an outpouring of support from the alumni veteran body. And they all wanted to check in to see how can they help and what do I need? Um and it was it was really nice to have it felt like this community rooting for me and helping support me and and then you know other positive side i mean i think the football team and the baseball team both absolutely welcomed me they wanted the color guard team to come and present the colors at the game because they suddenly had this link where they could have the the american flag presented during the national anthem and then we even brought the ROTC unit over from UMass Amherst to do a joint workout with the football team, which everybody, I mean, it was a hard workout, but everybody had smiles on their face at the end of it because it was, if nothing else, it was, you know, everybody needed to work out that morning anyways, but it really was meaningful for everybody that we just immediately could fall in with this other group of, you know, the football team and the ROTC unit and, and come together and there were no barriers or anything. It was immediately, we are a team. And that was just a really cool experience that, I could feel the the remnants of throughout the rest of my time at Amherst. That's a great story. I didn't know about the football team. I know even though you were a transfer student and you majored in neuroscience, which is a very demanding major, you also took courses in other areas. And I'm wondering, what were some of your favorite courses or those that you think now will have a lasting impact on you? When I first got to Amherst, 
I went up to my advisor and I was very proud of myself and told him of the four hard science classes I was going to take. And he just said, no. And I was a little offended of who is this advisor to be telling me no for four science classes. Like, this is my major. He's in neuroscience. He should be supportive of this. And oh my goodness, was he right. So he explained to me, this is a liberal arts school. And what that means is you don't just take hard sciences only or just take your majors classes. Um, but also that there's no distribution requirements because we want you to distribute however you see fit. Uh, and then finally, that these classes are hard and you need to diversify the types of thinking required because you will be tired of one type of thinking. And at the time, I didn't understand a word he was saying, but I trusted him and I said, okay. And I remember I took a class. I did not think I wanted to take a class in art, but one of the classes available was a class in African art. And it was transformative for me. The professor talked about how we view art as a 2D concept in Western thinking and that it is art that is put on a wall and that in most African art, it's 3D or, you know, it, it's not just about the the piece of art itself, but it's a performance piece and that it is much more encompassing than just the physical piece of artwork that's in front of you. And so taking it that art and putting it into a museum really is only a part of the art itself. And just something simple as that really just was this incredible punch in the gut for me of like how little you know and really set me up for Amherst to realize this is where my, you know, sights are being broadened and and I took another art class after that because I so much enjoyed the first one and and it too taught me about how do you analyze art and that what I learned there helped transfer to my paper writing and other classes. And so really what I would say, there were kind of three things that I learned uh, across every single one of my Amherst classes, not just the sciences, not just math, but you know, I would say even especially my liberal arts classes. The three things that I learned were, one, how do you take in that information? How do you analyze it? Two, how do you then formulate your own thoughts on it? And how do you then three, communicate those thoughts that you have. And I would say there was not a single one of my classes did not reinforce those three things. And what's incredibly powerful is that from Amherst, I learned how to think. And that stays with you for the rest of your life. That's beautiful. Back to high school. So are there a set of experiences or were there role models that you look back and think led you to want to make a career of service? One experience I had in high school was I volunteered with kids with special needs on Sunday mornings. And what occurred to me was that I didn't mind waking up early on a Sunday morning, which as a high school student is a pretty powerful thing. Uh, I didn't mind waking up early on a Sunday morning to go work with these kids. And I loved it and felt energized when I left. And so I think that was part of it of, of recognizing just the service theme to it. And then I'm not sure there was a, sing, a singular military-related experience. Uh, I think it was a lot of small things, and it was, and it was a lot of non-explicit things where it was meeting those people who seemed really mature 
or reading about individuals who would put their personal safety at risk for the safety or the goodness of others, sometimes people they had never met. Um, and it was it was kind of bringing all of those things together where I think I kind of just one day realized the military is is what I'm doing. And then it was a question of, you know, which service. That's so interesting. My brother was a firefighter who died in the line of duty. And so that willingness to to put oneself in danger for the sake of others has always moved me and moves me even more having lost him when he was so young. And and on that, the cohort with whom I serve is one of the things that will keep me in. And it's the fact that, you know, I know that anybody that's, you know, outside in the office right now, that if I needed something from them, even if I were a thousand miles away and it were, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning, they're going to help me. Um, and and I'm sure there are, there are other places absolutely that have that environment as well. But I know the military does have that if you're in the right unit. You know, even Biddy, when you're talking about your brother, it it gives me chills thinking about, you know, I have the honor to serve with those type of people. One of my most vivid memories will always have been your commissioning ceremony. And I wonder if you could talk about about it from your perspective, how you experienced it. One of the things I loved most about Amherst College is that it is this beautiful New England architecture. And so I knew from the moment that I got to Amherst that Johnson Chapel was absolutely one of my favorite buildings. I had the pleasure of actually having classes in that building. Um, and the way that the floors creak when you walk in, uh, you just you think of the students who have been there in the past and what they've gone on to do. What better of a place to commission in than where so many people who have come through Amherst previously who have gone out to serve, whether through the original missionary work or now to so many different types of service, whether it's uh, the military, the Peace Corps, uh, you know, going to serve their communities by being teachers or by being doctors. I mean, there's so many ways that Amherst College students go into service. It's not the ways, not just the formal ways that we think about. And so many of them have gone through Johnson Chapel, whether when they first get to Amherst or when they're leaving Amherst um, at graduation. And so I knew that was where I wanted to commission. And I knew I wanted to commission at Amherst because there were so many people who were so critical to me being able to do ROTC at Amherst. And so that was kind of the, the genesis of the ceremony. And then I had uh, worked for Congressman Seth Moulton when I was at GW before I had transferred. And he is somebody who understood the value of both military service because he himself served in the Marine Corps and then also in the value of a really strong education. And so he seemed like the obvious person to invite. Uh, and then, you know, getting a congressman to get there is a whole separate issue. Uh, but he was actually, he was able to come and speak and and he talked about the meaning of service and the meaning of a, an education. Thank and you, Madam President. It's an honor to be here. Uh, second, Lieutenant Siegel, I obviously wouldn't be here without you. And to all your family and friends, welcome. I first met Second Lieutenant Siegel when she interned in my DC office. And today you sit in a similar seat to one that I sat in not so long ago. It was perfect. Um, and there were a lot of people, a lot of my professors came and 
a lot of my classmates came and then obviously family and friends. What led you to choose the Army? I chose the Army after a lot of deliberation. But I realized that the Army is about leading and working with people, but also because there were more career opportunities available, a wider set of career opportunities available than um, the initial ones available in the Navy or the Air Force or the Marine Corps. And looking back, it was absolutely the right decision. I just didn't know it then. It was kind of a leap of faith. Has being a woman in the Army and in, in the positions that you uh, already hold, has that been an issue at all? The combat arms in the Army were not open to women just a few years ago. And now all the combat arms are open to women. Uh, Field artillery was one of the first to open before infantry and armor, but now all of them are open. Uh, what that means is that, you know, there's they're still working on getting the numbers up of the percent of women versus men in the unit. But day to day, it really doesn't make so much of a difference. We don't really think about gender every day at work. But, but where it is... I think where I have been able to help steward some of my experiences and communicate them is through this sexual harassment prevention program that we've started. And so we, we tried it out of my unit and it's, it's focused on the experience that people have before something is sexual harassment. So the Army works incredibly hard to prevent sexual harassment and sexual assault. And there's a huge number of programs, and especially in the past two years, there has been a lot of emphasis on how do we prevent sexual harassment and sexual assault. What we realized is that there's that precursor level of activities that's not sexual harassment, but that definitely doesn't make somebody feel good. And it can lead, those behaviors can lead to sexual harassment. The issue right now is that there's not really a way to deal with them because they're not sexual harassment. And so if somebody were to report them, they don't they kind of don't go anywhere because they're not sexual harassment, uh, but they're still not what comments or or behavior that fosters a climate of dignity and respect. And so what we did was we focused on a bystander intervention approach because in the military, we have this unique kind of honor and, and the people with whom we serve that you trust and have to rely on potentially for your life. You should be able to rely on them to keep you safe, not just from bullets, but from people who are making inappropriate or offensive comments. And so we wanted to focus on how do we enable people from the junior most soldier to the senior most person in the room to create that climate. And so we focused on bystander intervention. The The best piece of feedback that we got was you know, we had these really junior soldiers who really are hard to sometimes get excited about anything. And they said, can we do more of that? And that was the first training I didn't want to go to sleep in. And what's exciting for us is that we think this is what we can target. This is what we can affect as leaders in the military is that we can, you know, we're responsible for that climate. A, a commander, especially, you know, when one day I hopefully become a battery commander, I am responsible for my unit's culture. And so hopefully, you know, we'll continue to employ this and we'll broaden it to not just uh, pre-sexual harassment, but also pre-equal uh, opportunity violations so that everybody can feel like they have an important place on the team. That is so interesting. You are so interesting. Um, wow. I love listening to you, Rebecca. I'm shocked and also not shocked 
at how much my Amherst education comes into my job every day uh, and how much I rely on that bedrock that Amherst gave me to take in 150 pages of information quickly and get to the essence of that information to just communicating what I want to say. That is relevant to every person in the military ever. And so I, I didn't think I wanted to go to Amherst because I wanted to create that baseline of learning and ability for myself. What I didn't realize, but also again, in hindsight is obvious to me, is how much it would just influence what I do every single day. You are amazing. And I want to thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Um, Rebecca, I want to thank you for making time uh, to answer questions and be part of this podcast series. It's been a great pleasure, as it always is. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Very best to you. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeffrey Wright, Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. A production of Amherst College in association with Cadence 13, narrated by me, Jeffrey Wright. Executive produced by Biddy Martin, Ian Mont, and Rebecca Kennedy. Produced by Catherine Duke, Bette Schumacher, and Sandy Janelius. Written, directed, edited, and mastered by Ian Mont. Technical and equipment support by Sean Cherry. Creative consultation by Catherine Duke, Carly Nardowitz, Connolly Stokes Buckles, and Molly Whalen. Music from Source Audio and Extreme Music. Archival support from Michael Kelly. <laughs>